Welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic, the podcast where we drink and discuss nerdy fiction, and where the bell means points, but the points mean nothing. I'm Adam. I am Sean. And I'm Mike. This is episode three of season two of this nerdy podcast of ours, and we are so excited to be back. Today we are discussing an OG in the sci-fi world, Neil Stevenson's... No, 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 I'm just kidding. That seems to do really well for us, so I just wanted to work Neil Stevenson in there somehow. <laughs> or I was panicking for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you are not prepared. No, we're talking about Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. But first, we need your help, fellow nerds. If you're on Podbean right now, we see you. Thanks for listening there. Share our podcast with one other Podbean pal or whatever your digital buddies are called. If you share a podcast with but one new nerd, you'll change the life of four. Them and the three of us. Are you not into killing robots? One, weird. Two, it's okay. You can have your thing. Don't leave yet, though, because after this episode, we are talking about Blade Runner, which is more murder robots. But in November, we're talking uh, about uh, darker sci-fi pastures with something more like hard sci-fi in... I should have looked this up. Sixens Lose? Three-body problem? Is that how... I have the no idea how said. it's pronounced. Yeah. Mr. Luz. I'm just going to tell you that that sounded great. Problem. I think yeah. that's dead on. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you better be prepared next time, then. <laughs> yeah. oh, fuck. Do your homework. So many oh, notes. Oh, no, no, no. It's so a, many the notes. fix is already in. He's got to stick by it now. That's true. Yeah. Even if it's wrong, I apologize to you, Mr. Lou. Uh, the three Chris. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, the three body problem, which is soon to be a Netflix original. I found this out while getting ready. Excellent. We had picked this before that was even announced. So read it before it's cool and then hate on everybody who didn't read it before then. Or just listen to us and pretend you were cool in the first place. It's cool. We won't tell. Read cool things before they're cool. That's right. Cooly Coolio. Damn right. Cool, cool. Oh, we got pouring off a of Coolio now. Was it Coolio? Yeah, man. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. D- don't pour out the black label. Do we no, got no, something no. cheaper we can pour out? I'll yeah. pour it down my throat <laughs> for Coolio. Yeah. There you go. We'll pour one out down our throats. Perfect. I like that. I, I know it wasn't his exact thing, but gin and juice, is that what one would pour out for Coolio? Uh, sure, Coolio would just like the gesture. Sure. You would appreciate sure. the fact that we're honoring him in death. That poor guy. 59. Anyways. I know. It sucks. On. Yeah. Life is short. Take advantage of it. And uh, in that vein, we are going to take... A drink of Johnny Walker Black. If you have read the book, if you've seen the movie that spawned off of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, it's Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Man loves himself some some scotch whiskey. So that's what we have in front of us here. We have a very simple drink. It's very hard to mix up, though. Buy yourself some Johnny Walker Black. Open the bottle. Pour it into an appropriate glass. So we're going to feel like Harrison Ford because that's where we're at right now. We've got some Johnny Walker Black in front of us, gentlemen. You should be on the Food Network, Adam. That was, yeah, that really? Was really nicely oh, done. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, I've always been told I have a face for radio. So if they let me on the Food Network, then somebody was wrong. But um, have you guys had Johnny Walker Black before? I know I have. I have, yes. Uh, many times. I don't I don't believe I've ever bought a bottle of it. Um, but I've had, uh, you know, I've just had glasses of it in, mm-hmm. at restaurants or in bars. It's... Um, I'm more of a smoky scotch, peaty scotch kind of guy. I like the stuff that comes from the uh, um, Isla region. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as the more traditional, less smoky peaty scotches go, the blended scotches go, Johnny Walker Black uh, is a good one. I don't know, honestly, because I am the non... 
I don't know, refined drinker of the group here. So I just fake it well. I'm don't just going to pretend that I haven't <laughs> and be pleasantly surprised when it's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, personally, I know it's good. Like, I enjoy it. I had, you know how, like, when you first come into your drinking age and you're, like, figuring out what you want to drink and you kind of, like, emulate yourself after somebody? I found that, like, you know, for example, my father-in-law really liked bourbon. So I was like, well, how do I get into that? How do I get into the adult world? You drink bourbon or you yeah. drink scotch or something. So I started with Dewar's, which is the everyman, the everyday drink. Yeah. And then uh, it's fine. It's, it's fine. But then, uh, you know, slowly worked my way up. And Johnny Walker, I think red is the, the baseline. It's the Dewar's right? yeah, yeah. equivalent, yes. Yeah, that was where I moved over. And then... um Never had the occasion to buy black, but when my first son was born, they bought me a bottle of Lepfroig, which is a very nice scotch. That used to be my favorite before I discovered the PD Smoky scotches. Yeah. um, I think I'd be into the PD Smoky now based on my love of Mezcal. But back, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Everything goes back to Mezcal for me now, apparently. (laughs) All roats go through uh, burned um, uh, agave, but. Like, that was my favorite for a while, and then I just moved on to more American, like, ryes and bourbons, rather than, like, the, the Scottish stuff. Man, am I glad I did not emulate my dad. <laughs> God, I mean, just, all was right, guys, tonight Schlicks? we're going to be, we're gonna, no, we'll be drinking some Red Dog, as we've been mentioning several times, or we'll be <laughs> no. drinking, um, uh, I don't know, was it uh, Black Velvet Canadian Ooh, whiskey? Oh, that, was a, that was for a good occasion. Otherwise, it's Wild Turkey. Put a collared shirt on. We're drinking the black velvet tonight. Uh, collared shirts in my dad's wardrobe? I don't know. Well, I don't. I'm just, I mean, just us in general, I think, you know. So, um, well, shall we then, gents? It's yes. at the right temperature. We are at the right temperature. All right. Cheers. 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 Yeah, that that goes down very well. Wow. It almost seems to evaporate when it gets in your mouth. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's about... As quintessential of a regular old blended scotch as you, as you can find, it's um, it's a little nicer than the Johnny Walker Red. Um, you know, it, to me, what I always liked about these kinds of scotches is this might sound weird to say, but it, it has like a very woody taste to it. You know, I, get, well, I, get I can that. appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I always get a little bit of like surprisingly for a scotch too, a little bit of caramel. Yeah, in the black. Is it yeah. weird that I'm getting like old bowling alley vibes? If, Did you I used mean, to drink Johnny Walker Black in a bowling alley? <laughs> no, but I'm just getting like a, like that or like a you know, like the old like Polish uh, Polish places where you go into the basement and it's paneled and it was like a like a food hall. And they serve you pork chops and sauerkraut. No one, no one's getting that. Okay. How did you know what my See, house was like? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> See, most people, you know, uh, speak in terms of like flavor notes, but Sean and, and I really Sean has location <laughs> notes. I, re- I, I don't mean this as, as the insult it probably sounds like. I really appreciate the atmospheric notes that you've given us on the beverage. Maybe that should be my new thing. <laughs> memories of memories of drink. You know what? It's almost like terroir from your history. Like, you know, the earth notes that you get in, like, grape um, varietals yeah. for wine. Yeah. No, it's like Sean's terroir. This is where I'm from. This is what it was. This reminds me of Chief Dewaga. <laughs> <laughs> circa 1987. Wow. Yeah. You remember that one laundromat that was down there on Main yeah. Street, about three quarters of the way down on the right? It tastes just like that. Yeah, the yeah. linoleum <laughs> is peeling and everything, but man, that place was 
That place is hip. That's a good, you know la- good Stan- laundromat. Yeah, Stanislaus would treat you <laughs> real well down there. It was right next door to the smorgasbord. <laughs> oh, this more oh, the all oh, you can eat smorgasbord <laughs> next to the pulse because they would give you the croupnik. That's yeah. Right, that's right. <laughs> wow, we just became like that <laughs> SNL skit from Chicago real fast right there. Yeah, all we need to be is like, duh, Bills. <laughs> yeah, we just need the Western New York equivalent of it. I'm going to go watch the Bills. <laughs> Very yeah. good, nasal A. You yeah. nailed it. All right. My aunt's going to be there. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Your aunt? You know, I, I can attest as someone who lived in the South for eight years. Um, I always grew up in Buffalo believing that we didn't really have an accent, at least not one that I could hear. And then as soon as I moved to the South and was away from it for a while, I would come back to Western New York and I would be like, oh, fuck, we have a we have quite intense uh, accents oh, yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. If we went to like legit journalism or broadcast school, they would train us to say, marry the woman's name. Yeah. <laughs> marry a person. And Mary, as in like merrily, merrily, merrily. Yes. In three different ways, but not in Buffalo. That's all the same word. It's weird because we do have like, it's a Great Lakes vernacular, which Mm -hmm. is close to the Midwest, but there's just that little hint of annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Baked into (laughs) it. We trade Appalachian Dutch for annoying, basically out of (laughs) it. All right, gents. Well, I'm glad we all enjoy it. If you are at home, have yourself some Johnny Walker black, red, or what's the other one? Green? Uh, So there's green and blue. Green is like a step up from black. I think that's the only one I haven't had. I don't remember having it. Um, blue will run you between two and three hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, That's so out of my range. yeah, if you're if you're looking for something you know casual to That's drink, like a new PlayStation <laughs> in my house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're looking to to throw a little bit of weekend cash yep. at a bottle, here you I go. have had blue one time, and I went into it prepared to be cynical and and mm. say, you know, no way this justifies the cost, etc. Uh, it was quite good. It was it was definitely the smoothest, and and I don't necessarily look for smooth in a scotch, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the smoothest scotch I've ever had. Don't you hate when that happens? I'm going to, I'm going to hate this. So I never yeah. buy it again. And then you're like, they actually, this was pretty good. I was just a cynical asshole. Am yeah. I broaching etiquette here by uh, grabbing the food too? No, I was just about no, to put transition that right up by the to, microphone. Yeah. So we can ASMR get your ready. ASMR ready. <laughs> so one of the things that we're getting ready for, for the next cast for Blade Runner is we've got ourselves some ramen. So, uh, enjoy your beverage of choice. We're here sipping on Johnny Walker black and we're going to have some ramen and we'll see you on the other side. All right, and we're back. So, the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Where an android hunter struggles to catch the newest model of androids, keep his professional distance, and his electric sheep alive. How's that for a bad synopsis? No, I think it was appropriate. Worked for me. Okay, all right. So, let's talk. Did you guys have any background about this? Uh, Did you come to this cast having read it before? Well, you know, I had seen Blade Runner. Um, it was one of those I was kind of late to the Blade Runner hype, and I w- it was on my list of like, you know, great sci-fi that you have to see before you die kind of thing. So I went out to my public library and picked up a DVD copy of it many, many moons ago and convinced my wife to watch it with me, who has no interest in this kind of stuff. God bless her soul. And I don't. I remember falling asleep a few times trying to cut my way through it, but we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I've read other uh, uh, Dick stuff before, like... Um, uh, the World War II... Man also, in the High Castle? Yeah, Man in the High Castle I had read before the show and everything, because I just heard about this, oh, Nazis and everything, and it's like the Japanese that they had won. And I thought it was really, really cool. I liked his magical realism going on with it. I thought it was really neat. And then uh, that was pretty much it. I think I've known about... I think we all know about Philip K. Dick at this point. Yeah. His influence on the sci-fi genre and just speculative futurism, that kind of thing. 
And um, and that was really all I had as background coming into reading it. I hadn't. I'd always wanted to read it and just hadn't gotten around to doing it until now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mike, uh, quick side note to compliment Adam for his Asian noodles, which oh, our audience you. should know. Oh, were, yeah, were outstanding, fantastic ramen. Yeah. And uh, of course, we had those because those familiar with Blade Runner will recall the famous scene where that's uh, Harrison Ford's uh, order on the street right before he gets uh, arrested and taken in and. Uh, sent back out on his mission to mm-hmm. kill replicants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes an appearance in Blade Runner 2049 as well. Is there a noodle scene in Blade Ryan Runner? Reynolds Did I miss that? eats noodles a couple times. Oh, yeah. is that when... Uh, oh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, right. What's his name? In 2049. Gosling. Gosling. Ryan Gosling. When the, uh, I, they're the yeah. same person to me. I'm <laughs> sorry, Ryan Reynolds Gosling. Movie Deadpool played, uh, <laughs> played that one. Look but, for that next. Ooh. But so my background with this series is... Um, you know, I, I guess I was aware that the movie existed till I was in college, but I, I didn't really know what it was about or have any interest in it. Um, I think I may have even confused it with the uh, uh, Blade series of movies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was I that But uh, <laughs> I, I, we had to watch it for a film class that I took, and uh, I remember, uh, you know, it was one of those movies that, like, I saw, and I was just like, oh, fuck, yes, like, mm-hmm. this is... This is my shit right here. It was really good. And, you know, I'd seen it a couple times since then. I read the book that we're about to discuss probably eight years ago or so. Um, and, uh, of course, I've seen uh, Blade Runner 2049 more recently. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have pretty pretty good background with it. Yeah. Can, it- can, can we do a Blade Blade Runner mashup of some kind? Like, I'm surprised you- it hasn't been done already. Oh Honestly, <laughs> is it because Wesley Snipes would be against it? Well, I don't mm. think he would. Wesley Snipes hunting replicants? As Day a vampire? Replicants? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> vampiric yeah. replicants. Oh, my God. The, the, Jesus. The, the ideas. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, Mike, you say getting it confused with another uh, movie because for the longest time, I had confused Blade Runner with The Running Man. Oh, man. <laughs> so, like, another sci-fi, dystopian, speculative fiction, <laughs> but not the same text. Not yeah. at all. Can nope, I get a, a mashup with that? Blade and Blade Runner. <laughs> Prisoners who have to play a game, escape with their lives while hunting replicants and being hunted by vampiric <laughs> this, vampire hunters. The levels, the is layers gold. right there. I mean, Netflix, are you listening? <laughs> HBO, this is this is how you make your millions. Right? We're going to have to edit this out of the cast before uh, we, we release this because um, someone will steal this. This is true. Our, Isn't this a poor man's copyright, though? Yeah, like We have a timestamp. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's RIP. We own this. Mm-hmm. Urge of the Old Republic. Copyright That's right. 2022. There you go. So it's funny that we all have such different backgrounds with it, but it's always been a book that's like, especially if you're in the English field, it's always been around. You know, I've always seen it on people's like bookshelves in classrooms or whatever, um, but never had the guts to admit I had never read it until this cast. Is it one of this those books first. that people admit or they don't, they refuse to admit that they haven't read it, but they'll have a copy on their shelf and they might fake their way through a conversation. <laughs> oh yeah, Androids, yeah, uh, and then try to you know deftly maneuver the conversation in another direction because we all have books like that. Oh yeah, admit it. We Every 18th century English novelist, those are my books that I haven't read <laughs> and talk about. I have Don DeLillo's Underworld on my mm. bookshelf, and I've never got past page 
400, which is like a third That's of the book. That's impressive, actually. <laughs> oh. Oh. Almost as long as Termination Shock. Yeah. But you know what? Much, much better. I just haven't had the, the endurance to uh, finish it. Uh, Underworld, I would like to finish. Termination Shock, I, I regret that I had to finish. Yeah. I appreciate your dedication to the cast. <laughs> There's no way I can give you those three months of your life back, but thank you. Well, you know, I mean, we do this for the money. You can't Indeed. see us wiping tears away from our eyes right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this book is a lot about what it means to be a human. You know, there's Deckard administering tests to androids, trying to figure out if he can, like, I love the the phrase, retire them. What a nice, like, Orwellian euphemism for killing a sentient being. Right. Right. Uh, and he also has this existential crisis towards the latter half of the novel. What did you guys take away from... Deckard and his conflict with the androids when it comes to like being a human because that was a, a central point for me when I was reading this well to me uh, you know one thing that separates the book from the movie and uh, side note all future references to the movie in this cast will be about the first one Blade yeah, Runner Harrison Ford um, is that uh, Deckard in the book is the protagonist in the sense that he's like the main character that we follow but he's not a sympathetic character in any way. Mm. Um, the, the Harrison Ford character in the movie certainly is, you know, sort of a, I guess, an anti-hero maybe. But he's sympathetic. I think most most of the audience, like, you know, looks at the character and likes the character. And I don't feel that. Maybe it's just me, but in the book, I mean, he's basically this cold, calculating dude who has a list of people to kill and a gun and he's doing it for capitalistic reasons he wants the money so that he can buy what does he want to buy a better home for his family no he wants to buy a symbol of wealth that will yeah. uh, you know elevate him in society um a more so, alive animal exactly so there's this interesting thing in the book where like the humans are represented as becoming less human even as the androids are constantly you know, it's discussed that they're getting more and more human in yeah. their construction. Um, yeah, that. You, you mentioned something Sean? that was interesting to me. The, the sympathy we have for Deckard in the movie versus the book. Do you think that's because it's Harrison Ford? Maybe. You get, I mean, he's impossibly charming. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fair. He I is? mean, in, what was it, 82? It was very early yeah. you know, for Blade Runner. And so, like, still, did that predate uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? No. I didn't I think, think so. Was, I thought it was were right mid. after Empire. Okay. And it was, uh, it might have been contemporaneous with Raiders. If I'm thinking about it right. That might have been 80. It's hard to, they're I'm, all like that. Yeah. It was that level of Harrison Ford, though. But you have a point. There's that point early in the movie, the famous scene on the street where he orders the noodles and then mm -hmm. they come and they tell him he's under arrest. And he flashes that like cocky Han Solo smile and he's right. like, you got the wrong guy. And uh, it's impossible to not just be like, oh, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. got a roguish charm. Yes. In, in the face of like what would be in other novels or in other texts, like Orwellian or Kafka esque police force that you just can't fight against. He's like, right. nah, go fuck yourself. Right. He's got this like swagger. You know? Imagine it was like Tom Selleck or I don't know, uh, Robert Redford or some other leading man from that era. Would that change your. Uh, your, you know, the way you see that character, but that we're, we're getting in the movie. Let's, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm bring it's, back to the book. But it's interesting though, that obviously, um, there's a lot of play between the two. So when we talk about Blade Runner True. in the next cast, yeah. we can, we can tie back. I've got a lot of things, um, to add to that, but you were going to say about humans and empathy and I just feel like, uh, the book, it, it's certainly a product of its time. 
and you read it now and it's that's i'm not sure what the publication date is but we can maybe check that out and get back to you on it but it was like it's got that 60s futurism but he's also playing around with those you know humanistic ideas like what does it mean to be a person and i saw a lot of the things you saw in it but i also saw deckard is sympathetic because of the fact that he he's gone through something traumatic and like when his wife says you know why do you why do you have to retire these poor things or she's all upset about him what his job is and he tells her well it puts food on the plate for you or whatever or it pays for this that and the other thing and his quest to get the animal so that he can have his empathy restored and that what that that fucking thing they do when they like they touch like the love tester thing or whatever and they're going through like having the empathy machine yeah the machine and they, or they've got this this other thing that like can adjust their mood which is you know one of those hand wavy science fiction things like oh you just program the mood you want and it gives it to you it's again like you said it dehumanizes those characters and i think that actually builds a sense of not empathy but sympathy for the characters that they've lost something yeah they've absolutely lost something and you know it's like he gets into the his questioning himself even more deeply when he meets rachel and that other uh blade no, they don't call him blade Luba. the other guy oh no the other who is a replicant yeah and he's like cool with he's like yeah i guess it's cool you know like it it really blurs a lot of lines when he gets to that point. And I think that's what the filmmakers are going for too, is that blurred, like what is what and what does it really mean to be human kind of thing? Yeah. I actually connected when I was reading this text a lot to Fahrenheit 451, which for years I've taught and you know, the opening moments where um, Guy Montag is like trying to revive his wife, who's trying to kill herself from sleeping pills. And then she's always hooked to these like, or addicted to these machines, you know, it's not an empathy machine in that book, but it's like the seashells that are pumping, calming, soothing yeah. stories to you the whole time as is, um, what's his name? It's not buddy. I almost said buddy guy, but that's a musician guy, uh, guy, the guy Montag. Well, it, yeah, I'm sorry. In Fahrenheit 451, but I mean, in, um, do androids, it's that host of the TV show. Oh, that yeah. Isidore has on the whole time. Buster Friendly. Buster, or thank yeah. you, Buster yeah, Friendly. Yeah. yeah. So like, I saw a lot of connections there, and I'm like, okay, I get this. We're all dehumanized. None of us have emotions that we want to feel, and we are unable to self-regulate. So we're just going to use a machine to like, you know, make us feel feelings, like in Fahrenheit right. 451, where mm -hmm. we just pump pills into our body the whole time. It's to very Bradbury esque when you mentioned it. Like that's, it I got that same kind of feel. Well, and, and that's why I bought it. Actually, I didn't because I buy into Bradbury. I bought into the the empathy machine. And the the emotion, I can't remember the name of the emotion box that they use to feel things, but they would dial numbers to feel right. whatever. That's the most interesting thing to me about dystopian fiction is because so much of it, you know, on the surface seems like, oh, that, you know, that's silly. That technology doesn't exist, but it's the concept that matters. And when you yeah. think about like what the function social media, for example, serves in our life right now, is it not? basically the empathy machine like what feeling do you want to feel today dial mm -hmm. up those topics on twitter yeah. and if you want to feel point. outrage that's sure easy enough that's to all do. the internet yeah that's exactly but we have you know we have an entire entertainment uh, com complexes and uh, news media and social media and everything built around uh telling us um however we want to feel you know, mm -hmm. or, or I guess validating however we want to feel and multiplying that feeling. It's a great That's connection. Good. Yeah, it really is. Well, thank you. So we are living in already uh, do Android's dream of electric sheep. <laughs> well, I mean, it is the, 2022. Yeah, I mean, according to the date range here, we are right in the midst of it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even touched on that. 
But do you th- so do you guys know of the Turing test? Yeah. The the test to determine whether or not a, a computer program has become sentient. Yeah, we, we talked about that we with took, Ex Machina. That's right. Call back to Ex Machina. Our listeners should go listen to that episode. Oh, it was a great one. Cast. As soon as I asked, I was like, oh, man, yeah, no, we talked about this. So they didn't have the knowledge or that test for this book, or at least Philip K. Dick didn't write about it. So do you think the the tests that they devise would be enough in today's world to separate out a human from an android? I'm not talking Optimus from Tesla's robot, because that's a piece of shit. But I mean like a really good humanoid robot programmed with, you know, the best facial recognition, the best facial features we have. Would their Voigtkampf do it? Or we have we surpassed that? Well, it's they're looking for a quality that is unique among all living creatures and empathy, right? Mm-hmm. We really don't know if any other animal is capable of empathetic, like true empathy. Because you need language, you need other things to really express that. And it's, um, that bell does not count, by the way. No. <laughs> it's Great those, point, Sean. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things where I, you know, whenever you think about an Android or an artificial intelligence or whatever, it is programmed by its creator to respond or to quote unquote think in a certain way where, you know, the Voigtkamp tests and everything that we talk about in the book or that he gets into, it's designed to find out what is just an, an analytical response that you're supposed to think is the right response versus what is a really truly human empathetic response. And I don't think artificial intelligence will ever get there. It, That's comforting. It can't. Unless it evolves organically, right? Because human beings, our, our capacity for empathy comes from our social nature and the fact that we have to to survive. AI doesn't have that. If AI is programmed a certain way, it'll react a certain way. Unless you put AI into the, you know, the, um, the realm of uh, survival of the fittest, it won't develop empathy. It can't develop empathy. Mm. Which I think is where a lot of sci-fi authors who try to push things in that zone, they, they kind of miss the point. Like, there's a certain selection that leads to that, right? And I've never seen that reflected in any literature before. I don't think Dick gets it either. He actually says the opposite. Like, there are certain times in the book where the androids, especially at the end, that little coven of androids that are hiding with Isidore, yeah. um, are like, well, you'll blow me in too, right? Like, you'll just give me up. You'll just give everybody else up. And even though those four three excuse me came as close to like acting as a group and feeling empathy for one another they were ready to give up the goat they were ready to just kind of like not worry about the other androids and just be themselves selfish preservation yeah 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 that's a program response that's not something you you can have evolved into your being uh yeah i don't i don't have much to add here it's (laughs) it's tackled a little differently uh, in the movie obviously um with you know uh, there's there's uh, it's implied you know that strong connection between uh, roy batty is that the android's name am i saying the correct character yeah uh between well the thing is in the book it's one t in the movie it's two and i don't understand why but between him and uh, you know uh you know the the female replicant. Um, you know he is uh, he seems to be genuinely upset at her death, and mm-hmm. um, you know then he he himself is like shown in the very final climactic scene to be capable of like deep reflection on life and time and memory, and he ultimately chooses uh, when he's in the position to kill 
Deckard. He chooses mm-hmm. to forgive him, and instead he sort of dies in this very, um, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, there's all this imagery of angels and uh, in the movie, and he he the way the light shines on him and his white hair is meant to bring back up that like fallen angel thing. You know, these, these creatures are being punished for the sin of rebelling against their creator because they want to become like their creator. So anyways, all of this is to say, I think it's handled more in the movie with the idea that artificial intelligence can get there, Hmm. uh, that they are capable of these, these deeper feelings and empathy. Um, But in the book, yeah, not as much. They, they, they're not only ready to betray each other, but they're killed quite easily, as I recall. Yeah. From yeah, honestly, for, I mean, no offense to Deckard, but he takes out six of the newest yeah. models in one day. Yeah. I mean, granted, he's dead tired, and he did, you know, fucking Android. Right. So, like, that takes something right. out of you. <laughs> they basically just stand there while he kills them. Right. Yeah, literally. Yeah, they're just cool he, with it. He talks about the resignation, <laughs> with the exception of maybe the first two, who, like, try to fight a little bit. Yeah. He talks. He's, like, angry at the resignation that these creatures show, not trying to preserve their own life. Yeah. After much being said about how dangerous they are and, yeah. and yeah. how risky it is to even go after them because they'll they'll get you. Yeah, they, they sure don't. Yeah. No, no. So uh, speaking of getting you, this is the second text we've read or watched that has the trope of a female android character using their body to like distract a male character to get what they want. Does this I know this book predates um, Ex Machina as we just alluded to in our a previous cast, but d- what does this book bring to that trope of like the man falling for the female Android? Is there anything new or is there anything that's kind of like crossed over from Philip K. Dick and kind of permeated into culture? What do we see there? Honestly, I felt like um, it was almost forced where she just like, it's like that only, the only way they can do it is in the sixties, right? Like, Oh, I got to meet her at a hotel. Oh, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna have sex. It's like yeah. it's like this sort of like he had a half second of resignation. Yeah, but it's this like <laughs> preordained ending to yeah. the idea. Like it's like I gotta have this in here because my male readers want this scintillating moment kind of a thing, even if it doesn't really work. So do you think the, it stems from like the pulp fiction days or the, yeah, the science I pulpies? I think there's a certain level that any author in that time has to they have to almost pander to the audience a little bit. Like this was it necessary? That he has sex with this this android. Did it really drive the story? It's not like in the end he winds up. I mean, he does sort of form this emotional sort of attachment to it in yeah. a way, but it doesn't really resolve. Right. You know, like there's no like real payoff to that moment. It's just like a. It could have easily just been like they had an intimate moment. It didn't have to be this this thing where it was like, oh, it's like Mad Men kind of scene. You know, yeah. it just it felt forced. Yeah, and in a general sense, the book is good. I like the book. I do not consider the book to be uh, the, the masterpiece that I consider the film to be at all. Mm. Um, th- th- what I you know just said a few minutes ago is one example of why I think that this is another one. I mean, it's handled differently in the movie. In the book, it's like, oh, men are horny. Uh, so she, yeah. this machine puts out and he fucks her. Yeah. Come on. And he's, honestly, if that, he's was only... a, if that was a possibility, you know, I mean... <laughs> Well, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, like, that's something we all know. And the book is is just pointing out the, the out. obvious, you know. <laughs> and then and then she uses it, you know. And then yeah. it turns out, like, she's bad, or not bad, but, like, trying, obviously, to, to stop him from what he's doing. And so she mm-hmm. was manipulating him. And um, in the movie, it's a lot more interesting because even though, well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. 
assuming Deckard is a human in the movie, mm-hmm. which is not a safe assumption at all. Got a lot to talk about. There yes, in the exactly. Next cast. That's 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 a that's another discussion. It's a layered but, cast. But <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm trying to say this succinctly when I have a ton of shit trying to come out of my mouth. <laughs> Just go for it. But um, but Rachel in the in the movie um, does not like you know, have that manipulativeness. She's not trying to stop him. There seems to be genuine attachment between the two of them. And, uh, what they do is, is, is a expression of how they're feeling. And then because of the fact that like he may be human or maybe not, but she's definitely a replicant and he's a guy who kills replicants. That makes it a lot more complicated of a question and a lot more interesting one than just guy fucks, sexy machine well it's also true because like the by changing a lot of the story they they can make that complex character in the book he's just a dude who's married to some rando right like an npc for all intents and purposes well yeah and then he just goes off and has this interesting affair with a robot is he cheating i don't know right. and again it gets back <laughs> into that whole like it's the titillating moment for the audience right like it's like ooh, he's gonna bang this who he and actually, now that you mention it, that's the most interesting aspect of that is is contemplating whether or not that constitutes cheating. He does think about it for like maybe a hot second no. and that's it. But it's, you know, as I was mentioning, like the, the pulp, um, the sci-fi pulps that uh, Philip K. Dick is known to have devoured, like to have read, you know, constantly. It makes sense that that's part of the genre True. in that certain aspects are part of like Stephen King's writing when he was also into like pulp fiction and that sort of thing. Um, so knowing that we've all talked about people seeing this, people maybe not necessarily admitting they haven't read it. I've just outed myself that this is the first time I've read it. Uh, why is this in the sci-fi canon then? What does it bring to the table? I think if it came out now, uh, you know, it would just be a book. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think that historical context is, is everything here. It's that there, you know, this, this was an issue that may have been a lot, you know, more interesting back then because I shouldn't even say that just a lot newer back then because that was when, you know, technology and computers and everything were really expanding and people were just starting to think of this stuff. It is a good book. I, I, I recommend the book. I think it's a good book. Um, I, I don't think that it's a masterpiece. I think that it has flaws as a work of fiction. I think that it, even has flaws in the way that it goes into the themes as we've touched upon Mm -hmm. here for the last few minutes. Um, I think that the movie is a lot more complex and uh, artistically a lot, you know, more well done. So why is it in the Canon? Uh, To answer your question, I think it's just because it was a good book on this topic at a time when there wasn't a lot of that. That's true. We were still using punch cards in the 1980s (laughs) to like calculate three-digit editions right and that sort of thing yeah i mean dick was just the first to get to this this uh, quintessential existential question about you know technology versus humanity and when can we finally achieve god status and create something that is like us you know he's really tapping into something that was pretty nascent at that point and i think that mm. like you said if it comes out now it's it's just a story yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like how it gets into some of its its main ideas and the themes. And I found that it, the the writing was very uneven because you would have these like towards the middle or towards the beginning of the book and maybe towards the middle these philosophical jives that would go on for a page or so about either the androids or like Isidore. We haven't even talked about him. Oh, the chicken and heads? chicken heads. Mm, um, yeah. So like 
there was a lot there to be had, but then it would just shift out into like straightforward plot movement, like right. Deckard hunting in a truck, uh, in a car or something like that. So, um, you know, I agree too. Yeah. You said uneven and I, I really agree with that assessment. And I think a part of it is, is Dick built, he like, uh, he bit off a lot of world here and yeah. he was trying to chew on all these different parts of it instead of focusing on the one thing like, Oh, there's an ecological disaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's these chicken head people as a result of that. Oh, there's these androids. There's, Oh, there's this off world thing. Oh, there's the, it, it's just too much for the, the sto- excuse me, the story he came up with. It's a novella, right? It's not even a book. Yeah, it's a, it's a hundred or it's two hundred and forty pages, something like it's that. Short. So it's, it's a, a short very book. short yeah. American novel. And I, it really today, like you mentioned before, if it was going to be made today, it'd be at least a trilogy. Yeah, just to tell this story and to develop that world and to give enough space for everything to kind of develop. He's cramming ten pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Yeah, if <laughs> Frank Herbert got his hands on this material, it'd be three hundred thousand pages. Oh yeah, they're, they're, for sure. Yeah, God, can you imagine Tolkien? Oh my gosh! Or Martin? <laughs> yeah. Well, George R. Martin, George R. R. Martin would finish after the first book, even though there's a thousand pages left to do. So we got a bag of Martin in every cast. Every really. cast between <laughs> oh, yeah. him and Neil Stevenson, we're gonna get those clicks, man. He's got pages. Get those clicks. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I agree too. I think it's a good intro into the sci-fi genre. If you want to hook somebody who's not really into it, doesn't know what we see in it, it's a fast read. It's got some philosophy. The language is um, palatable. Right. You know, it's not too hard. It's not Stevensonian or <laughs> something like that. Um, so I, I like it as an intro into yeah. into sci-fi and Android specifically. So It's one of those things, too, where I think, um, you know, out of curiosity, I went online mm-hmm. and I typed in, you know, like rank Philip K. Dick's fiction or whatever. And yeah. I looked at a few and um, I haven't read other works by this author, but... Um, it seems like this is always right around three or four on the list. Um, Probably because of its influence on the movies or creation for the movies. Yeah. But but my point being that people consider that he's written better books than this. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like this may be his best well-known. Yeah. And and if that's the case, I mean, it's 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 really just because it, it's the Mario Puzo, Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mario Puzo wrote a eh, book. You know, yeah. it's, it's okay if you've read <laughs> The Godfather. It's fine. Good for you for reading it. And... Yeah. The movie is just like maybe the greatest thing that's ever been put on camera before, you know? Um, and so to this day, people still read the book because of the movie. I think a lot mm-hmm. of the, um, you know, sort of critical opinion of this book may be retroactively because of the movie. That's that's And that's fine. Yeah. And so much so that it got a, a sequel in 2049, Blade Runner in 2049, that, you know, uh, Hans Zimmer is the, the scorer for that movie. And like... I told Sean, I can't believe they they got him. Crank it up to eleven when you're watching it. You have to hear the sound in all like thirteen directions if you can possibly. Yeah. That's not a little git. You don't spend that money if you think you're not going to get it back. Correct. I uh, you know you mentioned that this is. I don't know if you guys have read. You you haven't read other Dick. Right? I've not read any other Dick. I read Man in High Castle. I put that above this all day long. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the one that won him the uh, what is the sci-fi award that everybody aims for? Um, Hugo. Crap! Hugo it did win a Hugo. The Nebula. When it came out, no, it won a Hugo. Hugo. Okay. Um, and uh, this is a good transition to the lightning round because I got some questions for you about his other works. Y'all ready? Grab a grab a bell. For those of you who have not listened before, what are you doing? First of all, come on. <laughs> There's 25 other episodes you can listen to. That's at least what 
13 hours of entertainment and enjoyment but you're in your here life. now you've made the right choice that's true yeah, i'm being too negative to fill you in though dear neo uh, neophyte i'm gonna ask a series of questions first person to ring the bell gets to answer the question if they answer correctly they get a point what do the points mean absolutely nothing what is it good for huh nothing oh wait a minute i've been living my life as a lie that i thought i was gonna get some kind of prize here i mean a lot to me Damn. I've been stringing Mike along with the promise of a check, <laughs> and so I may have just given up the goat. What, or the electric sheep. What are you whispering in a mic over there, Adam? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, man. Question number one. Uh, henceforth, Philip K. Dick is PKD. Got it. Okay. PKD claimed to have given been given wisdom and clairvoyance from what object? Oh shit! I shouldn't have rang in. Yeah, that's right. Oh, what now ob- you own it. An object from an object. Uh, her, uh, his toilets. That's a great guess, but no. Damn, Mike. What would PKD? WWPKD. <laughs> like the new the new <laughs> yeah, bracelet. That's what I'm gonna wear around my wrist. <laughs> oh man, I I don't know. Uh, calculator. That's actually not a bad guess either. Better than toilet. So, <laughs> I hear my best inspirations on the toilet. <laughs> well, yeah, as one does. But so, uh, Philip Kadick was infamous for using substances. Oh, and yeah. he. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Mike. You were going to say. Oh, no, I was going to say, uh, I, I, I haven't read it yet, but I, I went out and bought Scanner, a Scanner Darkly. Scanner Darkly or whatever. Yeah. I've seen yeah. the movie. I Fucked up movie. It. Yeah. And so, uh, anyways, sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah. And so, Scanner Darkly is later in his career when uh, he was still using substances. But uh, the story goes that he had a wisdom tooth removed and was obviously on opiates. And a woman came to give him Demerol, which is more opiates. And she had a um, Catholic Pisces fish necklace on. And he recounts the story that when he looked at her and saw the fish necklace, a pink beam of light emanated from it and gave him instant wisdom. And knowledge of the ages. <laughs> Probably just the Demerol PKD. Just saying. So basically what you're saying is toilet was the closest answer. <laughs> yes. And, and why suppose. was calculator a good guess? No, that's because he's a sci-fi writer and it's a oh, it's an I electronic see. thing. I, okay. It makes sense to I me. I thought you meant good guess as in close. Oh, yeah. No. Neither of you were close. Thing. Y'all were fucking way off. It was an sure. abacus. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know what happened there in his life, but um, I did read a lot of his biography and the poor guy had a lot going on in his life. In terms of uh, death and in terms of his family. And so to imagine a, a writer who came out with what he did and being known for like multiple day binges, I almost pictured him like Hunter S. Thompson, just like at the typewriter for like three days straight pounding shit out. Damn. Not that I want that life, but like it seems productive. Um, so question number two, uh, we'll call that one a draw at zero. <laughs> Which, generous. which novel was acclaimed as a top 100 American novel of PKDs since 1920? Uh, Mike? It was um, U- Ubik or Ubik. You got it, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Wait but a Ubik. Uh, where the fuck did you see this? Uh, I told you I was reading about like the ranking of his novels. And, I didn't know we could yeah. do this kind of like, research. Mike has been feeling <laughs> like he wants to own Sean finally, and we end every season in a tie. <laughs> So he's ready to break this existence here. Yeah, um, Time Magazine named it one of the top 100 since 1920. Um, I've not read it, 
as I said earlier, but it's on my to read list now just because it's it. apparently that good. Yeah, as I as I recall on most of the the lists that I came across, it was between that and High Castle for like his his best book. Yeah, a lot of his later work gets trippier because it's based on his revelation from this necklace. <laughs> this pink beam. He goes toilet. He goes <laughs> yes. Slat, maybe it was a bidet. So he goes <laughs> like he goes hard into like Christian theology too, and and also believes that he is like controlled by the prophet Elijah for a while. Again, I'm going to say it's probably the Demerol, but like, <laughs> Could be. this so, is where he went. So not the prophet Elijah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Probably not We're Elijah. We're not going to take that at face value. All right. No, I'm not going to buy <laughs> that one. Not yet. All right. Last question. Sean, you got to do this to tie here. You ready? So how many wives did PKD have? And bonus point for knowing the length of his shortest marriage. I'm going to go with four, and length of the shortest marriage was two months. Okay. Uh, we can play the Price is Right game. Mike? Well, what was the number that you gave? He said four, and two months is the shortest marriage. Okay. All right. I'm going to say um, I got a 50-50 I'm trying here. really hard to not have give away anything. Here. I'm going to say I'm five, and I'm going to say what two. What the fuck? Two <laughs> he went higher. <laughs> Shit, y'all split it. Which means Mike wins this round because he had yeah. the earlier point. Wait a minute, what? So, Mike had it with five wives. You had it with four months. Okay. So you split that round. You split that point. Actually, I said four wives in two months, but yeah. Well, I'm sorry. So but you were closer. You were closer because oh. it it was four months, not weeks, for his shortest marriage. So, so and the he had the wives. One point five to one, right? We got yes. A real barn you this win is this round, Mike. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. All right, so gents, we are to the recommendation part of the cast. Uh, I'm a yes. You know, enjoy it. It's a fast read. It's pulpy. It's okay. Maybe coming off of Neil Stevenson, I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'll pick up on your last point there. That's that's uh, maybe part of why I enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, because the literary side of me is not all that impressed with it, but no. it was a really great palate cleanser. Uh, after after termination shock, <laughs> it it was something that was, it was you know taught and it was like it was a, a slim, plot driven book. <laughs> yep. With you know, uh, I don't know. You felt like what was happening in the dialogue all pertained to something. It wasn't <laughs> just pages and pages of rambling. Um, so I I did enjoy reading it. Uh, I I do think that even if it's not a great literary masterpiece, uh, it it's it's a important enough in the sci-fi canon that it's worth reading um i'm a yes sure sean yeah i agree for canonical reasons it's okay sure it's mid with, yeah it's mid yes as the as kids, the kids say, say. <laughs> you go with the expectation that it's a product of its time and i think you'll be okay uh just real quick before we wrap this whole thing up we didn't yeah. talk about the chicken heads and isidore and all that. no we did not have time real quick mention of like just the fact that again he builds in different layers of humanity which i find an interesting thing to look for while you're reading it and trying to kind of parse that out would be kind of neat. Um, and the other thing I kind of like about it is that even though he has certain biological components of the androids or the replicants, there is also that idea that they have like mechanical or electronic components as well, mm -hmm. which for me was fascinating. I like the idea of they them were like being, cyborgs. Yes, they were inorganic cyborgs. Is right. how I thought of them. Like they have bone marrow and they have like mm -hmm. bodies that bleed and everything, but they also probably have a computer in their cranium instead of a brain. I'm like, that's cool. That makes it so Deckard's sort of, um, I guess, his carelessness about killing them is a little bit more palatable. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas the film goes in a very different direction, which we'll probably get more into in the next cast. Tune in. That's next right. Time. Same cast channel, same cast time. <laughs> and if you want to find out why we hate on Termination Shock so much, we'll save you three months of your life uh, and $25 because it's still only hardcover uh, by listening to Termination Shock, which is the first cast of this season. Go back and listen to it. So, fellow nerds, that's it for us in this episode. Join us next time when we discuss the movie spawned by Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Blade Runner, a 1980s movie with Harrison Ford. I believe it was 82. But if you're looking for some newer fiction, after Blade Runner, we're talking about the three-body problem with, I'm cringing, Shikjin Su? Joe. Chris. Joe. <laughs> Chris. Sam. There you go. I'm so sorry. I will get this right for the next cast. But uh, that's us for now, nerds. We'll see you at the next cast. Cheers. Cheers.